Hello there. How are you? I, for one, hope you are doing phenomenal. I'm your host, Jalen, and welcome back to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV and movies that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. When it came to the world of long-running crime procedurals, I thought I'd taken a look at just about everything worth checking out. You've got CSI, Criminal Minds, NCIS, all of the Law & Order spinoffs. However, in today's installment of RC, my amazing friend Anna opened my eyes to a show that, in retrospect, was always just below the surface. Bones. We get into the weeds of how this show immediately gripped Anna at her tender middle school age, how it broke the mold of the typical crime procedural formula, and how it explores the character's struggles with the concept of truth, sparking a conversation around the evolution of our own personal beliefs. As per usual, sit back, grab a snack, and listen in as we talk about a show that manages to add heart to an otherwise lifeless premise. Get it? Because the show is is called Bones. Anyways, of course, follow Retrospection Connection on Instagram at Retrospection Connection and email me at retrospectconnect2001 at gmail.com with shows that you'd like to hear discussed or if you'd like to be featured yourself. Enjoy. I say this at the beginning of every episode, but the person that is here has been so key and foundational to the development of this podcast. And it is like the ultimate pleasure of my entire life to have this wonderful young lady on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself as well as tell us a little bit about how we met and how we've gotten to this point with each other? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited. Um, yeah, my name is Anna. Jalen and I met, like a couple of other guests previously, through a summer job, the summer of 2019, which was a really pivotal year for I think both of us. And yeah, we met through that role and then just became friends, particularly over the pandemic. We started brainstorming more and just became really close. And yeah, it's been so cool, like seeing this podcast develop over time and just seeing it shape up into like such an amazing show that I get to listen to um, every couple weeks. And yeah, it's just been amazing to see that part of you. Um, I'm in grad school right now, studying organizational behavior, organizational psychology, particularly like stereotypes and diversity programming and like how individuals perceive social identity. So yeah, it's a little bit about what I do on the, you know, during the 40 hour work week. (laughs) <laughs> um, I respect you. You're a cog in the wheel, just like the rest of us. And just, I appreciate that. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Well, <laughs> thank you for such a lovely introduction to yourself. I couldn't have said it better. I am just so excited to have you on. This is perhaps the first show that I'm talking about on Retrospection Connection that I've not watched prior to like doing the episode. I've maybe done shows that like I'm less familiar with, like The Nanny. I've seen a few episodes here and there, but like it was never my favorite show growing up. 
Mm -hmm. I just thought it was charming and I'd seen a few episodes here and there. Mm -hmm. But this show, and we'll sort of reveal what it is in a little bit, I had never seen an episode prior to preparing for this. So I'm very excited to talk about it. I'm going to be asking you a lot more questions just about like, what is your relationship to the show and why was mm -hmm. it so impactful to you? But mm -hmm. I enjoyed what I saw as well. So I, I'll have a few, a few notes to add. Yay. Uh, yay. I do want to ask you, as I ask all of my other guests, before we get into the nitty gritty of the show, we're talking about what is your relationship to popular culture, popular media growing up? How do you feel like your journey with pop culture is distinct? I think my relationship was a little bit different from maybe your previous guests. I feel like I would watch TV, but in a certain sense, I didn't have like full reign for whatever reason watching TV. I wasn't particularly um, like controlled in terms of like what I watched, but you know, to a large extent, my parents would watch like more adult, like gory kind of uh, like Dateline and like all these like murder shows or things like that. So I would be watching that as a kid. And then a lot of the shows that I would watch were kind of from this more like adult lens, it felt like. So I I watched Disney Channel, um, but it wasn't something that I watched all the time once I like got a little bit older, like around eight or nine. And so, yeah, to a certain extent, I was less like cultured um, growing up, um, though I would watch like, you know, Disney Channel to a certain extent, like PBS and things like that. So I felt like growing up, especially starting around like end of elementary school, beginning middle school, I started, uh, my, my mom had, oh, I don't know if I want to say this, but, but basically I was a latchkey kid at that point, like for a couple of years. So I would go home and just have full reign of the TV or like the internet or whatever. Um, and, and even still, I felt like I, I was watching more adult shows, like, you know, what the show will be talking about, but it was different. I don't know. It, it was a little bit different from like my other classmates. It felt like. Do you feel like you were still able to connect on a pop culture level, media level with your friends a little bit? Do you <laughs> wish it was different? Talk to me about that. I think I, I definitely could. I just don't think I'd be watching every day at the same time watching all these shows. So I would watch them throughout, you know, I'd watch like Zack and Cody and all these different shows. I didn't have like the Miley Cyrus birthday party or things like that, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, Got it. So you weren't yeah. as entrenched in that world as maybe some of your friends were. Right, right. Like it wasn't like super like fostered in my, in my family. Not that they thought it was bad or anything. It just like wasn't a priority in that, at that point. Yeah. Well, I, I hear that a lot too from folks that live in like single child households. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. personally, I'm not from a single child household, though from mm -hmm. the ages, age I'd say of like 10 to, you know, being officially a grown up, mm -hmm. I was the only child in the house. So mm -hmm. I can on some level relate to that. But from what I hear from my friends that like, we're always a, a sole child in the house. Mm -hmm. You're split between media that's explicitly for kids and then mm -hmm. just like whatever your parents are watching, as long as right. it's not like super egregious or awful. Like, right. yeah, I, if I have a kid, I'm going to plop you on the TV and we're going to watch a crime procedural together. <laughs> it is it you, maybe right. you'll learn something. You'll be vigilant right. about uh, a stalker behind you and you'll right. know what to do in that situation. I don't know. Right. But uh, do you feel like you 
sort of had that experience of watching stuff that your parents were watching partially because you were just the only child in the house? I think so. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. And I think they were uh, conscious of like the types of shows they would watch around me. So there wouldn't be like sexually explicit content for the most part or like verbally explicit content. So it'd be like the like PG-13, but still, or PG, you know, whatever. It would still be scary. We'd be watching like documentaries about true crimes and stuff, but it wouldn't um, be so explicit. So it was like an interesting kind of liminal situation in that way i don't know yeah because you got a taste of what like quote-unquote adult entertainment right. was but without right. it being so heavy and, mm -hmm. and weighted even you when i think about like true crime stuff there's a bit of detachment that mm -hmm. you know that's a whole other episode that we can get into like the pros right. and cons of that relationship right. to things like murder and crime right um, but i think as a kid if you are watching that it comes from a a point of view that feels a little bit more removed and maybe mm -hmm. less personally scarring if you end up mm -hmm. watching something like that as a kid. So I I approve of your parents' parenting. I do. That, that actually makes sense because it does feel like, because you always see it from the perspective of the investigator and that's a very different perspective than to be watching it from like, obviously the perspective of like the victim or the assailant where that's like a whole, like way more intimate like relationship with the viewer, I feel like. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a little bit about, mm -hmm. like, the ratings, like PG-13 and mm -hmm. stuff. God, those used to really annoy me. I was like, <laughs> I am mature. I can watch something with a little bit of light cursing. But mm -hmm. my mom was very diligent about, oh, no, this is E10. This video mm -hmm. game is E10+. plus. You're nine. You yeah. cannot believe this. I remember distinctly there was, like, a Toy Story video game that came out. And I was like, Mom it's e10 but like it's toy story like why can't mm -hmm. i play this and That's she so was funny. Like, you're, not, you're not 10 i don't know what to tell you i was like that was a oh, core moment for me who was making these decisions on age groups i don't know but i wanted to bring that back up because it reminds me of another question that i have for you do you recall when you first started thinking about media just a little bit more critically like what that time was like for you do you have a particular show or movie or something of that regard that like made that sort of click for you and look more intently at the media that you were consuming? I feel like I was a very uncritical child. Got it. Way more of an observer than than uh, critically looking at things. Um, I think the show that we'll, we'll be talking about, Bones, definitely made me think deeper about like society and what's acceptable and question that more but I feel like I was just a very uh soaking you know osmosis or whatever soaking that all in versus questioning things and I do like that though especially as mm -hmm. you're growing up you are a sponge right mm -hmm. no pun intended that is not an allusion to a previous episode that I've done <laughs> but go listen to that if you have not Truly, like as you're growing up and coming into teenhood, I think it's actually really good to, to a certain degree, be just open to hearing other perspectives and mm -hmm. seeing what people have to say. Just knowing you, I know that you've certainly come into that sort mm -hmm. of more critically minded uh, consumer of media. So like, it clearly happened when it was meant to. So I like that you allowed yourself to just take it in, embrace it, 
and now you you've come to this place of being more thoughtful about what you're what you're watching thank you yeah it's to a certain extent it's it's kind of nice just to just be watching things for the like enjoyment of it i feel like once you become uh like hypercritical then the enjoyment is in a different sense but they're both really important and now that i think i'm like much more critical of what i'm watching i don't know the the it's just a different way of watching the shows you know that kind of absorption is different oh god i totally agree and i feel like this podcast has actually been a really good outlet for me mm-hmm. to sort of use this as a space to think way too much about tv shows and movies and make it way more deep than it has any reason to be and it allows me then to turn the podcast off mm-hmm. turn the podcast brain off and feel less inclined to be like okay but what does this mean okay i have a space for that i don't need to do that <laughs> right. right now so I, I think it does help too to have some sort of outlet some sort of way to channel that that mind so that you don't sap the joy out of the other stuff mm-hmm. that you're taking in. I feel like everyone needs this podcast to be able to think through also like what they're what they're watching. Because even with the episodes of Bones that I've seen in the last couple weeks or whatever, the topics that we talked about, I'm like, oh wow, I see that popping up. I see like the kind of subliminal, subtextual conversations they're having here. And that's really cool to kind of see that throughout and and kind of also honor like the writers and what they were trying to do beyond just like being entertaining which is cool yes i fully subscribe to that that way of thinking about the show we are talking about bones Mm -hmm. and let me give a quick synopsis for bones for anybody that maybe hasn't watched it or has only heard about it in passing bones initially aired on september 13th 2005 and aired its finale on March 28th, 2017. So very long show, which I feel like you see less and less these days. So really one of the last modern examples of like a long running TV show that I can think of. Not that there aren't any that exist now, but it's just a little bit less common these days where I think more conditioned as an audience to look for shorter seasons, shorter run times in general, Mm -hmm. um, which I think has pros and cons. A whole other topic for another day. (laughs) The premise of Bones is an alliance between forensic anthropologist Temperance Bones Brennan and FBI special agent Celie Booth. Brennan is the central character and team leader of the fictional Jeffersonian Institute Medico-Legal Lab, a federal institution that collaborates with the FBI. This reflects the historical relationship between the FBI and scientists of the Smithsonian Institution. Set in Washington, D.C., the show revolves around solving federal legal cases by examining the human remains of possible murder victims. Anna, I have to ask you, as an avid watcher and fan of Bones, do you feel like this is an apt summation of what the show is all about? Are we remiss to leave anything out of this description? What do you think? I think the Wikipedia writer did not do the show justice. That is what like is is shown in the show, but they definitely focus more on the more logistical this you know this premise or this summary really focuses on like the logistics between the alliance 
between like Bones and Booth and all the characters. When I feel like the show is really more about the people, the murders are obviously a really major like point and part of the show. But yeah, I, I just don't think it really captures all there is to say about like what the show's about and who the characters are and the relationships they build um, and what what stories they were trying to show beyond that. I see your point. From what you just told me, it seems like you've really been able to capture and connect to the heart of the show. And it seems like it's connected to yours as well. So that kind of leads me into mm-hmm. why we're both here. Mm-hmm. I want to know, what is your personal relationship to this show? Because this show has been going on for a long time, or at least it went on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when it was initially airing, you were pretty young. So I, I'm curious to know, like, why did you latch on to this show as much as you did? Why does it speak to you? And, and why are we talking about it on Retrospection Connection? It's interesting because I actually remember like how I started watching the show. I don't remember like what my first episode was by any means, but around like the fourth or fifth grade, um, my mom and I went to like a library book sale and we got this book. I was going to grab it and hold it up, um, but I actually still have it. And it was uh, Kathy Reichs, who is the like original person who wrote like book series that the show's is based off of. She had written a book and I got it at the library and I'd seen like, oh, based off of the, um, you know, uh, like something about how like this is like the book version and there's been a TV show adaption of the the book. My gosh, that's so interesting. I remember looking it up and then like being able to catch it on Fox um, on cable. I don't know. I think from the very beginning, I really latched on to just like the joy the characters have with working with each other, being together, this like deep bond that they all share, this way that the show like gives the characters the ability to like learn from the the cases, deepen their like understanding of the world, deepen their like understanding with themselves. I think that was really powerful. I think the all the like the main cast they have really great chemistry, and that's uh, you know so lovely to see and and know uh, you know behind the scenes that they had good relationship relationships with each other. Um, yeah, being able to see just like such unique characters, I I feel like the characters that we see in this show uh, really defy a lot of stereotypes or defy a lot of things that we typically see. And it was really cool to, to see that. Again, I was an uncritical viewer at the time, but you know, the, the show for me holds up just because they were so unique and like what they were capturing and, and like what that all meant, you know? I've watched a few episodes that you prescribed to me and mm-hmm. I thought that they were really cool and gave me a whole different light on the show because mm-hmm. growing up for myself, I don't know why, but my mother had some sort of vendetta against this show. Like she really was just like, I do not like Bones. And at the time I'm living in her house. So like if she doesn't want to watch Bones, we're not going to watch Bones. Right. So I had this weird stigma against this show for basically my whole life until I met you. And then I found out that this was like your cornerstone show. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's on to something because I, I trust your opinion. I trust your perspective. And I certainly think that you were right. There's a lot of interesting things to unpack about this show. And even if you don't want to go that route, it's just entertaining, which mm-hmm. I think 
if you're going to be a TV show or a movie, please at least be entertaining if you can help it. So I'm very much looking forward to this. With that being said, there was something that you said about why you like this show so much and your origin mm-hmm. story with it. You mentioned that you purchased a book that the show was then adapted from. I want your take on book to movie, book to TV adaptations, just on a macro mm-hmm. level. What are your thoughts on them? Do you think it's ever executed well? I mean, it seems like it has been with Bones based on your perspective um, and your love for the show. But at large, do you think that should be the approach that creatives take with it? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, it's interesting because I'll say quickly that I didn't, I wasn't super enamored by the book. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's part of why I latched on to the show so much. The show was so much more do I want to say this was so much more interesting in my opinion than than the book and it was cool to like learn what stayed what didn't stay I do think though in general book to movie book to tv show adaptions it's a mixed bag some movies do it super well and then there's a whole franchise like Harry Potter I feel like in general they did it they did it well I mean I don't know I didn't read the books at all when I was a kid but there's, you know, still a following. And there's some controversy a lot of times. Like I, I heard Colleen Hoover has a new book to movie adaption. And there's been a lot of controversy around the characters. You know, Blake Lively and somebody else is playing the main characters. And there's a lot of frustration from like the audience in terms of like the age of the characters, which is interesting and what they're wearing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion, but I'm interested always in seeing like how people feel about these adaptations. I mean, normally I would say though too, that movies don't completely capture everything because as in a book, you can just imagine your, your imagination has no limits. So movies that do limit what you can imagine really do affect how you see the show. So yeah, I don't know. It's a mixed bag. What do you think? Well, I completely hear what you're saying. And I think what you're getting at is that because you're not automatically like visualizing the exact same thing as other readers, when you're reading a book, you have free reign to decide what this character looks like, what this world looks like, you know, within certain parameters, because the author is obviously going to try their best to make sure that you know what their vision was. Outside of that, you get to decide what all of this is actually about and what it's supposed to look like to you. And so it's hard because you can't please anybody, or mm-hmm. I should say everybody. You can't please everybody. You're never going to know how every single reader took in a particular piece of media. And so I I have a bit of sympathy for mm-hmm. writers that go the route of like getting their works produced as movies or TV shows, because it's like, Somebody's going to be unhappy. And I think you have to rely on what your vision is and, and mm-hmm. trying to go, go about it that way. But then sometimes there's also adaptations where the writer's very minimally involved. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other thing because it's like who has license to determine the direction that the show or this movie goes into and its creative vision. It's so messy, but it can go well. In short, I'd say it depends, but... I think it can be done okay. Yeah, it's interesting because especially in a movie, you have to cut 
scenes, you have to cut lines, and some readers will really grab onto the scenes that you cut, and that means a lot to them, and, and other times they might not, but yeah, it's it's hard. I, I feel I feel a lot of sympathy for like those writers and those directors who are remaking the storyline, essentially. Well, with that being said, I think we're ready to get into the show. What do you think? I'm excited. Okay, let's go. Something that I found pretty interesting when I was watching the show is that, like, yes, it is a crime procedural. We're going to go through the steps of finding some sort of killer or something like that, the wrongdoer in the situation. What I really liked, though, was that that wasn't always the primary focus. Obviously, there's going to be that figure, and that's going to be the overarching story throughout a particular episode. But over a course of episodes, you could be learning a lot more about the actual characters. Do we want to go through a quick list of like the top main characters for the show? Yeah, um, let's do that. Yeah, if you had to, give me like the top five or six. So I think Temperance Brennan and Celie Booth, those are the two main characters that are there throughout the show. Temperance Brennan is a forensic anthropologist who uh, has had a very rough childhood. Her parents abandoning her, later finding out they're criminals or were criminals, her being in the foster system, her growing up and becoming this forensic anthropologist, focused on the truth, focused on logic. Celie Booth also had a very tumultuous childhood. He's the FBI agent. He was the son of an abusive father, has a tense relationship like Brennan with um, his brother, was raised by his grandparents, was in the military, and then joins the FBI at some point. And his focus a lot of times is on justice, while at the same time uh, being rebellious in the ways that he can be. And then there's Angela Montenegro, who's uh, Brennan's best friend. Then there's Jack Hodgins, who is the quote-unquote like bug and slime guy. Uh, He's an entomologist. He's the um, secretly extremely wealthy character. His family... His family, the cantilever group, they own the Jeffersonian, essentially. He's, you know, always, like, shown that part of himself. He's also the conspiracy theorist of the show. Then there's Camille Saroyan. She uh, comes in season two and becomes the, the head leader of the team. She runs the Jeffersonian in terms of, like, the lab. She's... Uh, was a cop at some point and uh, a pathologist in New York. And then she becomes a pathologist, forensic pathologist um, in the team. And then Lance Sweets is a character who joins later on um, in the show. And he's the young person of the group. He's the psychologist. He's a quote-unquote soft science guy. And he's always being made fun of for being, like, looking so young. But he also has a really dark childhood that, that he grapples with throughout the show. Well, that's what I found so fascinating, just like through my initial watch of some of the episodes that you had me watch. Mm-hmm. I feel like in my little bit of experience with other crime-based shows, crime-solving 
there's less emphasis on like actual characters and character development. It's like, we know what we're here for. We're here to watch a mystery be unfolded in a really gratifying 40 minute time slot where we right. feel like we've done something in regards to like solving this case. But this show takes a different approach. Perhaps it's not the only one to prioritize character growth and character development, but I think of a show like uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. That show has been on, I think, 25 years at this point. I'm like, I don't really know what Olivia Benson's whole deal was about. Like, I know that she has a kid now and like she's the head of the department or something like that. But I feel like that show is very intentional about prioritizing the actual cases that happen on the show. And Bones really stuck out to me as like being more focused on what are these characters' motivations? What are their backstories? Why were they each drawn to this line of work? And how do, mm-hmm. how do their backgrounds both inform their, their good work in the job and also influence some of the ways that they maybe mess up or, or go about things the wrong way? I'm curious, like, do you have favorites in these characters? Do you have any dynamics that you really gravitate towards? What is it revealed to about you and, and your relationship to other people in your life? I think that's spot on. The show really prioritizes the characters. Sometimes the murders, to a certain extent, fall to the wayside. It's really about how the characters take on the cases and what's going on in their lives that parallel or not the cases that they're solving. Overall, the the team has just like such amazing chemistry in so many different ways. There's a distinct dynamic between all the characters um, that's really special and that's preserved through a lot of the show. And like the essence of each character really, it feels like stays with them throughout the whole show, which is really special. I think, of course, like the main characters, Brennan and Booth, they have such a amazing like dynamic. There's so much sexual tension and like banter between them and so much like love for each other and care and like protectiveness between each other that really shows through throughout the show. Just the way they, you know, bicker constantly. I don't know, it's like fun to see that type of dynamic that develops into like true love and, and whatnot, but it, it's it's like a soulmate kind of relationship through and through. And it's really special. I really enjoy that. Yeah. It it feels like they were naturally always going to gravitate towards each other, even if they were doing it kicking and screaming. Really the long lasting success of the show is hinged upon their dynamic. Philosophical differences, um, their approaches to the work and how different that is. And Mm -hmm. nonetheless, they still are attracted to those differences within each other, which I can certainly, you know, just relate to not only romantically, but just in other friendships and things like connections that I have in my life. So why do they bicker? Why, if you had to sum it Mm -hmm. up, why do they fight as much as they do when they're working together? Mm -hmm. And why do you think despite that, they still want to become closer to each other? I think at a high level, they're polar opposites. Uh, And that's shown throughout the show in every episode, almost every scene. Brennan's like need for logic, her inability 
to even understand like the illogical, the emotion, the instincts that Booth has. She doesn't understand that. There's times when she she craves that so much. She wants to learn from him. She wants to be better than him on those things. Um, and then and then Booth he sometimes just can't understand just this logic like purely logical perspective this need to defy social norms that she has. Um, and, and he craves that too, to a certain extent. He, in his way, in his own ways, tries to be rebellious. They have, you know, storylines like he wears crazy socks that aren't like FBI protocol because that's his way of like sticking it to the man. Um, but he's not, like, he's just not that person to be completely rebellious. He has a lot of trouble with that. And she has zero trouble. She's completely fine defying all um, expectations of herself, all uh, gender roles or whatnot. And she really questions them. I think they have a good dynamic where even though they are such polar opposites, there's this intrinsic chemistry, this quality about themselves. Even when they're angry, um, they just have this love for each other, this like connection that really defies there's this whole scene where they say like it it almost defies physics at that point and it's hard for her to really understand it you know wow that sounds very fascinating because it it seems that for both of them there's this inclination to have qualities that the other person possesses Mm -hmm. seemingly so instinctually from what you're saying it, it feels that brennan is very keenly squarely logical and wants to know the facts and is hypercritical of things like emotions because with emotions there's subjectivity brennan is very conditioned to just wanting to get down to the bare bones truth of it (laughs) and bare bones truth of it i I didn't even mean to do that that was off the cuff wow (laughs) i'm powerful but truly like that is her aim Mm-hmm. And I think from the episodes that you had me watch, I saw her struggle to, mm-hmm. I guess, understand the nuances of certain situations because she's only wanting to know, quote unquote, the truth. But I think her relationship with Booth helps her zero in on the nuances and the particulars of human interaction, which mm-hmm. she isn't always great at picking up on Booth's side of things. Maybe he needs help just getting to the nitty gritty of a situation and Mm -hmm. sometimes putting aside the emotion to focus on what is laid out right in front of them. I don't know. I think growing up, I was always encouraged to like engage with my emotions on some degree, but being a young man, a young black man, that always felt a little bit secondary to presenting a certain way. You're looked at to be mostly logical, not relying on your emotions, the way that you're feeling to dictate how you navigate a certain situation. In a weird way, I think I relate a little bit more to Bones, at least a little bit growing up. Now I think I've, I've learned to incorporate my feelings, my emotions into my daily decision-making more. But I'm curious, like, do you feel that you relate more to one of these characters' philosophies on life more than the other? Or do you feel like you sort of blend those two things together? 
Well, it's interesting that first you were talking about like who you kind of, who you're saying you relate to. Because I think one thing that's super interesting about this dynamic, and this goes into a whole bunch of things related to stereotypes, but Booth is quote unquote the, the one who's supposed to be this logical person who in other shows would be the, the person who doesn't care about emotions, who doesn't care about the nuances, just wants to do X, Y, Z. And, and Brennan would be the person who would struggle with, you know, her emotions and things like that. So it's really cool, I think, to see that flip. It's interesting, too, to see that in certain ways you can kind of relate to both characters, I feel like. I don't think I relate to just one of them that kind of struggle between the logical and the illogical is something that I might struggle with a lot, right? You know, and I, I see that struggle with a lot of my friends too, knowing like which which way to perceive this situation that happened, try to figure out what the best thing to do is. Is there a best thing to do? What's the right thing? What's the truth? I think that's like an inner like dialogue that I have with myself a lot that's just played out in actual characters and what they think. They, they become basically like two sides of you almost in a certain way. Well, for sure. And I was thinking you were intimately related to this because you're in academia and specifically mm -hmm. you do research. And I think what's particularly interesting is that you do a lot of qualitative research. So like a mix between like wanting to know the specifics about like the people that you're studying and like wanting to know actual responses from them rather than just gathering quick little points of data. But nonetheless, you do have to come to some sort of conclusion that's rooted in, in facts from these people. So like, how do you personally reconcile that in your work? And do you feel like it's maybe different than how the characters in the show reconciled it for themselves? Yeah, it's actually interesting because my work would be considered quantitative work, which is almost... Mm -hmm. Counterintuitive. Yeah, I'm not a researcher. I really <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. No, it's, it's interesting because my my work is explicitly qualitative in the sense that it's not physics, it's not math. There is no right answer. We're having to quantify uh, things that are really unquantifiable in a lot of ways. From one to five, how much do you support this diversity program? There. There is no, that, that's just our way of quantifying these thoughts, but, but there is no actual three out of five percent, you know, uh, like yeah. quantitative uh, equivalent to how much you support something like that. And I think for me, it's always been interesting because you can almost get caught up in like, no, the average like support is, is four out of five or whatever. But then when you take a step back, you're like, oh, like this, this is all, this is not, you know, we're, we're trying to quantify like a completely unquantifiable concept. We're trying to create these constructs, make these definitions. And sometimes you remember like none of this matters, like none of this is real. But yeah, it's this interesting part of the sciences that for, for Brennan, it would be completely unscientific, you know? In the show, it seems like there's a lot of tension between that sort of hard science, soft science dichotomy. I was a sociology major in college, so I'm squarely in soft sciences. I always want to peel behind the curtain beyond the statistics and beyond what it says on the page. And I want to understand 
the people that comprise those statistics in a more intimate way. So I've always struggled to get into all the quantitative stuff and just like just looking at figures and what the data is suggesting. I'm like, well, what do the people have to say? What is that sort of thing? So it's interesting to talk to somebody that has to do the work of taking those qualitative responses and making them more quantitative in nature. How do you feel like that struggle and also interdependence is demonstrated in the show? What position do you think the show takes on that sort of difference between qualitative and quantitative and which one is more relevant? Is there one that's more relevant? Talk to me about that. I think the show takes a middle ground. I think it recognizes the the need for this quantitative logic, um, but also a lot of the like the consequences of that, what we miss, the nuances we forget about. And it really values the quantitative, seeing like how these you know victims' families feel once they find out the reasons behind these murders. Maybe to a certain extent, it leans toward the quantitative, like this quote-unquote softer science perspective, really finding a lot of value in that. I mean, it's a show that thrives on like these connections, these storylines. The writers themselves are artists, right? Being able to these storylines. So I guess um, while they're middle ground, it's not like Booth is always trying to be more like Brennan. A lot of times it's Brennan trying to be more like Booth. Now, in the preparation for this episode, you let me know that for Temperance Brennan, truth is like sort of her central motivator mm -hmm. because she is very logical and, and facts-based. Do you feel that truth, quote unquote, is mm -hmm. the most important part of your work as well as a very big part of your life? What does truth mean to you? And is it more rooted in facts and figures or is it more nuanced and, and layered for you? I think in my life, it's way more nuanced. You learn how the truth could be true, like multiple truths could be true at the same time, which Brennan might not be able to understand or even like accept. You and I could be having the same conversation with completely different understandings of where each other is on the matter. And I think um, for me, it's just learning and relearning that a lot of times. Um, sometimes I find myself being like Brennan in a sense, like, no, like, why wouldn't this person understand that this is what you're supposed to do? But then, then you know, becoming <laughs> that booth part of me, which understands that there's so many nuances to all these situations, how to do things. Um, yeah. So in the planning stage for this episode, you really wanted to emphasize the way that the show both kind of subverts certain stereotypes and breathes new life into characters that we might have already assumed that we just knew and understood before mm -hmm. coming into a show like Bones, which I thought was really cool. And in other ways, it conforms to them just like any show or movie might, because it's a product of its time at the end of the day, right? So. I want to talk to you more about that and really how you feel that Bones used stereotypes to sort of differentiate itself from other crime procedurals and some of the traditional tropes that we see in those type of shows. I think the show does a really good job of subverting a lot of stereotypes. We've talked about it a little bit already, 
But for example, um, of the two main characters, the woman being the more logical or less emotional character, while the man being very emotional, very nuanced perspective, there's the whole woman in STEM thing that it's really pushing against. Even in the first episode, the pilot, the very first scene, there's so many subversions. One, just with Brennan, she completely kicks ass and fights these security guys, something you wouldn't expect. And I think that's what's like so surprising about the pilot or, or the show in general. Like she doesn't need to be taken care of. She doesn't want to be taken care of. Um, she wants to be independent. And that's something that, you know, this dynamic between the two, they kind of struggle with. And then with Angela, she's an Asian American character in terms of stereotypes. In my research, we talk about this super influential theory of understanding stereotypes. It's called the stereotype content model. It's about how every group can be understood in terms of how competent and how warm characters or these groups are perceived. Um, so for example, women are typically considered not very competent, but very warm, or men might be considered not very warm, but very competent. At the same time, Asians are considered very competent, but also not warm. And there's a lot of stereotypes that you can see with different groups and you can kind of cluster them and see how, you know, based on how they're clustered, where they are on these two axes, really affects how we view them. Thinking in terms of that model and that perspective, the the show really subverts a lot of stereotypes. Like the woman, Brennan, is this highly competent but not very warm character, while Booth, quote-unquote, is uh, not very competent in a certain way, but very warm, um, and then co very competent in other ways, right? Angela, who's this like Asian character who typically would be perceived as or would be depicted as this like nerdy, socially awkward, um, very smart, but you know, not very fun to talk to. She's completely the opposite of that. Asian women a lot of times are like, hypersexualized in TV and movies. They're depicted as submissive. They they're quiet, they're sexual because they're quiet and they're so submissive. And Angela's just not that way at all. She's hypersexual, but that's her agency. Like, she, she does that. She's sexy and she's flirtatious and she'll get what she wants. And it's because she, she does that. Like, she doesn't take that. From, she doesn't let people take that from her. She uh, really uses her agency to, yeah, like, be in these situations. And I think that's really cool. I was going to say, I feel like off the rip, the episodes that I saw, Angela was my favorite character because I felt like, firstly, yeah, she does subvert expectations of what typically Asian women are portrayed as in TV, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s when this show was coming up. I feel like perhaps it was a more nuanced, interesting take on a character that maybe they could resonate with. So I want to ask you, like, as an Asian woman, do you feel like this was uh, like interesting representation for you? Do you resonate with this character at all? Or if not, is she just cool? What do you, what do you feel about her? I think like one of the things I really like about the show is 
Um, and a lot of depictions that I would see of Asians and Asian women growing up, I would be almost embarrassed because they would always be the, like the nerdy, like boring. And I thought it was really cool that Angela was not like that at all. Yeah, she was quote unquote like the normal person of the show. She wasn't weird or like, you know, humiliated or, you know, that, that never comes up, you know. Now, for characters that you don't share, like, the same racial background or ethnic background or things like that, it can be a little bit harder to say for sure whether they were positive representation for their demographic or what have you. But you were telling me when I was starting to watch the show that Temperance Brennan was loosely based off of a friend of the creator that... I believe they had autism, you said, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about like the research that you did into that character's inspiration and like, do they explicitly mention that Brennan maybe is autistic or is it more alluded to? And and how do you feel about that portrayal? From what I understand of the storyline, Hart Hansen is the creator of the show. And from what I know of the show, he wanted Brennan to be diagnosed with autism and come to terms with this diagnosis and learn more about this diagnosis. And at the time, the network didn't want that to be a storyline in the show. They were okay with how she was depicted. Obviously, the show did really well. But I think at the time, they were concerned about people not being able to relate to that, which I think is interesting. I think that's just unfortunately, a product of that time. And I would hope if the show was being created now, they would be like more open to that. In terms of the depiction of Brennan, I don't, I don't really know like whether the depiction holds up. I mean, from what we know, right, like he depicted Brennan based off of a friend who, who has autism. And I have seen an article where the author of the article talks about being an autistic woman who really relates to Brenna, which I think is really cool. I think the, the article is even titled, I'm an autistic woman and Bones is the only character like me on TV. And this was in 2017 that this was written. That's powerful. Um, I don't think that the depiction of Brennan would be on the news for everyone. She's able to be the main character of a 12 season long show. She's able to like learn these nuances, come to terms with them, accept her herself. Yeah, I think that's really cool. But again, I I'm not autistic, so I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. It, it's hard, like I was saying earlier, to conclusively say, yeah, this was a good representation of this demographic of people, and so I won't even claim to touch that or know right. how to approach that. But what I will say is, regardless of whether she was explicitly diagnosed with autism or whether it's just alluded to and it's a part of her character that we don't explore explicitly. I really like that the way that her character was, she really created space for all sorts of norms and expectations about people to be questioned. Looking back, maybe that's why my mother didn't really like the show. My mother is a lovely woman a very religious woman as well. So she has her beliefs and she doesn't take it fondly. Like I imagine a lot of people, when people critique that so openly and when 
it feels like there's a lack of respect or reverence for her beliefs. That can be a whole other topic that we could get into another time. Right. But Brennan's character, for lack of a better word, she always does that. She's always mm-hmm. willing to interrogate somebody's religious beliefs or just personal convictions that they hold about themselves. And not because she thinks that they're stupid or something to trivialize, but she genuinely does not hold that same belief or she does not mm-hmm. hold that same opinion. And so she's curious. Sometimes she'll ask questions that are maybe a little bit off color or might be seen as disrespectful or mm-hmm. crude or curt. I don't know. I I can't say that I approve of all of the things that she maybe says to other characters in the show and the way that she goes about finding out the truth, which is so important to her. But I can respect that she created room for a lot of those conversations to happen on the show. And I think Booth in particular really benefited from somebody that was so critical of all the little things that I think he maybe took for granted or didn't fully appreciate when he was like working on cases and stuff. I want to get your mom, call your mom up. We need to know why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I think that's so true. She's like to a fault, always willing to question Booth's Catholicism. She she belittles it. um, Just a little. A a little bit. There's an episode that uh, wasn't included in the list that I gave you, but they're locked up in the lab during Christmas because of a contamination or whatever, and all the characters are there. And um, Booth's Catholic, so he, you know, believes in Jesus and and everything. Um, And they're kind of going down the line on talking about everyone's religious beliefs, and she's appalled that Jack Hodgins, who's a scientist, um, could be religious. And and he's like, God loves me, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. She like can't really understand how somebody who's a scientist could also be religious. It's interesting though. At at one point in the show, she admits though that she also had like her religion is science in the sense that like her faith lies in the scientific method, the the science, the ways of measurement. She admits that, and I think that's something that was really powerful for me to hear about and understand because I, I I agree like you know, we all have our systems that we rely on to have faith in the world and to have faith in like uh, our existence and why we're here. And yeah, it's really important to remember that even uh, like atheists and and everyone is really relying on like a, a system or a number of values that quite honestly are socially constructed. Oh yeah. I mean, we're human. And so even just on the most basic level, we look for patterns and consistencies because we have to believe that, okay, if this thing happens this way 30 Mm -hmm. times, the 31st time, I think it's going to be the same. We have to believe that things will turn out in a predictable way so that we can navigate our lives without constantly thinking about some of those sorts of things. And so when you get into more complex ideas like religion, or I don't like to equate these two things, but Brennan likens her relationship to science as a bit religious as well. Mm -hmm. But I can understand having a certain level of faith in whether it be science or religion. But I think you touched on a really interesting aspect of the show, which is like that coexistence between seemingly contradictory beliefs. 
I was going to say that it's interesting that you're saying all of this because there's actually an episode where they again are locked up in the lab and they find out that they think that they're um, re-examining JFK's murder. It, it, be, it becomes this whole thing where the possibility arises that all of this is a conspiracy theory, in which case like the true murder was somebody else and, and whatnot. And Booth really grapples with that. And there's a whole tension in the show where he can't accept that. And Brennan really struggles to understand why he can't accept that when she's, again, all about the truth. And he supposedly is all about justice. Like, how could he not want the truth? And Cam says, as a military uh, soldier, he killed so many people in support of this, like, belief that America was... um, like doing the right thing and to like learn that this might not be the case like that's like going to ruin him mentally um and he already struggles with like all these killings that he's done you know as an fbi agent and as a soldier and brennan really has to understand like this will really shake booth to the core if this becomes what it is and, and then she kind of potentially cooks the data in the sense that she tells him oh you know it's the the show is called the proof is in the pudding they put he she puts bones in the pudding and one sinks and one doesn't and she said oh it seems like this isn't jfk and he's able to like oh, like he he's able to like maintain his his like faith and you know at the end kim says like i'll never forget that you did this for him because you know that really comes to the core of what you're saying like this need for us to believe in something but i don't know <laughs> Well, it gets to a really interesting question, which is like, what is the cost of knowing the truth? Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to know something for certain. And I, I think that that makes us on some level feel very comfortable. But when your whole reality rests upon certain things being true, having a certain understanding of something, for that to be upended with a new fact a new figure that changes your worldview. That is very, goodness, it's not a good feeling. And I think we can all relate to that on some level as we like enter adulthood and Mm -hmm. all of these beliefs and ideas that were passed down from generation to generation in our family. For the first time, we really have to contend with whether we align with those as like autonomous humans. I grew up in a very religious home. So having to interrogate that after I had the choice to decide whether I wanted to go to church or not, like, what do I want to do? It was a hard time. And I'm really grateful that I took that responsibility seriously of sort of like choosing what I believed and Mm -hmm. going in that direction. But there's a cost for learning what your truth is and how you'd like to navigate your life. Because it may differ from the people that you love and care about, and there's a tension and an uncomfortability that can come with that. So I, I really love that this show dove headfirst into that with the two main characters. Is there a, something that you've been re-evaluating recently in your life? Hmm. I guess I've been doing like a whole reevaluation of like my relationships in general, mm-hmm. both romantically as well as platonically. I think I had a very 
like just a more narrow view of like, okay, who is this person to me? What can they be in my life? It very prescribed roles that I allowed people to be. And I'm contending with like, can they be more? Can they be something different? Is it okay that this is who they are to me in my life? Is this unhealthy? Is this weird? And having to come to a realization of, well, this is what they are to me. And I think that's okay with me. And I think that's what matters the most. Right. That's that's the fun of having personal truths because really nobody's harmed as long as you're not harming other people by mm-hmm. having your beliefs and by allowing certain things to go on in your life. Those truths only really matter to you the most, which is what I think is so cool. But yeah, I feel like that's where I'm maybe interrogating some expectations that were laid out for me in terms of relationships growing up. What about you? I feel like more minutely, I mean, more like more off the cuff, like what I was going I always had this timeline in my head and we've talked about this, like, like I want to be married by the time I'm 26 and I want to have a baby by the time I'm 28. And like that, for whatever reason, I've had in my brain for like since I was a kid. And coming to terms with, like, there is no timeline and just, like, relearning. Yeah, it's been coming to terms with, like, this idea that these, like, sayings, these thoughts that you've had in your mind your whole life, like, can be completely, like, untrue, could be something you don't subscribe to anymore, could just be something that was passed down to you, something that you just thought of, like, randomly one night when you were eight or something, and then you, you take that with you. And I guess in a different way, it makes you think of like all these like things that you say about yourself throughout your whole life. And it, it kind of will rock you to your core if you learn like that all these things that you said about yourself are wrong or things that you've said about others are wrong. It's scary, but it's good to interrogate that. And I really respect Brennan for being that person to always interrogate that. As we're rounding out this interview, one thing that I feel like I'd be remiss to not address is the way that the show utilizes humor is like a core element of the show. I think about a show like Criminal Minds, which aired around the same time and was not funny at all. (laughs) For good reason. It was like a lot more gritty and dark and focused on like murderers and things like that, that like had usually like darker backstories and like mental disorders and Like that was a big part of the show. And so it had to be a lot more serious in tone. But what I thought was refreshing about Bones was that the character dynamics were so light and fun, generally speaking, at least from what you showed me. It made things feel more approachable, some of the topics that they were talking about. But it also treaded the line to where it wasn't making light of some of the more serious subject matter that came about too, which I thought was really cool because you can go way too far in either direction. And so I wanted to ask you, was that a really important part of the show for you? Is that what makes you come back to it so often? Also, how do you incorporate humor into your adult life to sort of make things feel a little bit more manageable? Talk to me about that. I think humor is like a huge part of the show for me. I think that that's one of the reasons why I gave you one of the episodes that I did because it's just so funny. 
I think they tread the line really well in terms of making people laugh, making just the characters funny, making the situations like bizarre, like the episode that I had you watch where they're literally like carrying the dead body from the wake into the car, dragging it. Brennan in that episode, <laughs> she like takes a peek at this body of a coworker, I believe that they had. Mm-hmm. And she just like notices something that seems a little bit off. The prescribed reason of death is not murder initially. It's just a sad moment. They're like at this wake for this coworker that they all cared about. And she notices something little and is like, oh, this man was murdered. Something happened. <laughs> and so it starts as like a little conspiracy with her. And she slowly but surely gets everybody on board. And so, yeah, like Anna said, they're like carrying this body around behind everybody's back, trying to like solve this mystery so that they have enough evidence and proof to be like, hey, y'all, this really happened. And spoiler alert, something did happen. This man was Mm -hmm. murdered and they get to the bottom of it and everything is like rectified in the end in a really gratifying way. It's ridiculous and it's funny. It is truly hilarious. So sorry, I I interrupted you, but I I think giving a synopsis for that episode gets to the heart of like how ridiculous this show is and why (laughs) it functions so well. It's so funny, and and it's it's nice too because it's it's not every episode like this. It doesn't come often, but there are those episodes throughout the show that are just like hilarious in every scene. You know that you know in blooper reels, people are like dying. It's genuinely funny, right? Like they have good jokes um, and they have such good chemistry. And and again, like the the character dynamics play out. Like even though there's all these social norms around funerals and death, Bones doesn't care. She wants the truth, and Booth is so against that to a fault, and it's hilarious. But of course, they also have this like love and like trust in each other that they're willing to go and do the most ridiculous things to find that truth and to like find find the reason why this person died. I find a lot of value in their ability to like hold this like humor and hold their storylines while also touching upon these really serious topics, death and, and murder and, and anguish. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I feel like because of the show and like super cognizant of death and being alive and it, it like, it was almost like exposure therapy in that sense, like watching 12 seasons of the show, who's like left behind and who, who suffers afterwards. It's really powerful. But they never do it, like you said, like where it's scary. I think that's something that's really like powerful is that like, it doesn't feel like there's a huge barrier to entry in the sense that like you you're not going to like feel anguish watching it I don't feel scared I don't feel depressed I don't feel like terrified like of course I I feel vigilant people who like will manipulate you to kill you and things like because a lot of times the people who kill you no the people who are killed <laughs> you will be killed audience members I want to key into that you will be murdered soon no, I, I understand what you're saying, though. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> they, they do say that you're likely to be killed by people that you know and have an actual relationship to you. The likelihood mm-hmm. of being attacked or something like that from a stranger, it's less often than I think people would assume. And it, it's interesting to see like what these, like what happens, how these people 
like make mistakes a lot of times and they have to they they suffer the consequences emotionally literally well it's really fascinating too because i've been thinking a lot about gosh what does it mean to die and mm -hmm. not to be so morbid this is a happy podcast but <laughs> i i think the way that the show approaches death and bringing some levity to it it's reminiscent of how it's been described to me that like certain other cultures view death and mm -hmm. it's not as heavy and intense and sorrow filled in certain other cultures, but maybe in American culture, Christian culture, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe an interaction between the two. We as American viewers usually are primed to see it in a very, I guess, just more intense, deep mm -hmm. way. I think Bones has done some good in showing this topic and making people a little bit more comfortable talking about death and the ways that it can happen in a way that's not so sad all of the time. There's room for both is what I'm getting at. Right. It makes me, it definitely made me think about like what type of funeral I want and like, you know, making those decisions before you can't make those anymore. And I think that's really powerful. It shouldn't be necessarily a taboo thing to be able to decide how like, people send you off and like what ways you choose to do that. And, and I actually learned like about like green burials and things like that, which is something that I want. And so that's really cool to like be introduced to that in a really, maybe not organic way. Haha, <laughs> that's funny because it's a green burial. <laughs> but that's like, it's cool. It's like, you know, you, you grapple with a lot of these things in the midst of watching other people grapple with them you know brennan talks about her way of she wants to be buried and things like that it's it's special it's, there's a levity that isn't there in a lot of shows and what i also appreciate is that not only does it make you reckon with death but it also makes you think about more critically how you want to live your life you know what i mean i don't want to be remembered for like just working and never mm -hmm. focusing on my relationships and my friendships. I want to have a work-life balance. I right. want to feel like my life was lived and impacted more than just maybe where I worked or my local community. I, I want to have a bigger reach and that's going to be different for everybody. Maybe some people don't have those same aspirations, but it just makes you think more critically about how you live your life because we're all going to experience death at some point. It's really interesting. I think like one message that I get out of the show is just like our story lives on in the show, right? Like Brennan is able to craft a story about like, these victims' lives through their bones and through their bodies and what they went through. And it's really powerful to be able to see like your life can exist beyond what you write or what you do beyond like the, the people that you leave behind who will have like, you know, living memories of you, that there are like things that like will stay, things that people can find. It's, it's like really special. It makes you want to like, you know, treat your body well, you know, uh, you get some ergonomics that's <laughs> made a desk and things like that. <laughs> no, it's special. And it's, it's also like nice to know, hopefully that people who like take care of my body after I past like will honor it hopefully and like treat it well and not do some of the things that changes in the in the show. 
as we're wrapping up this interview portion of the episode, I want you to know that I, I think you'll be remembered very well for the way that you love and the way that you care about people, the effort that you put into your work and also your relationships. And so I, I just have no doubt in my mind that you are an amazing person and I appreciate you endlessly for your work in helping me develop this idea for the podcast. Yeah, figuring out how I want to go about all of this and for being a guest on the show. This was a truly a full circle moment for me. So thank you so much. This has been so much fun to geek out over the show. And yeah, this has been really cool. Thank you. I love your love for Bones. And thank you for talking about it with me. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, with that being said, we are heading right into ad break. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Retrospection Connection, and more specifically, Ad Break. Anna, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so I'll be asking you a series of questions. I just ask that you're honest and that you give us a little bit more of yourself and your relationship to media and your inner child. First question, what's something that you're doing for yourself that's making you feel like a kid again? I've been starting to watch shows out of order again. Um, almost as if I was watching them like on cable TV. I started doing that with Bones and it's been really special to to see this side of media that's really different from how we see it now in streaming services. I feel like there's a lot of this need to complete. There's this need to watch in order. And some shows like, you know, Alex's episode about Spongebob, there's not necessarily this need, like, you don't have to watch these episodes in order. Even the shows with order, um, like bones to some extent like don't need to be seen in order and so it's been really cool to pick a random season pick a random episode number and just watch it for the fun of it and just in general just trying to find hobbies that I used to um, take part in as a kid just kind of have that like, childlike wonder be brought back into my life it's been really cool I love that I mean it's so important to try to find something that connects you to a simpler time in your life. You know what I mean? Because it makes these more complex, sometimes frustrating adult moments of our lives feel a little bit more bearable. So I, I love that you're you're trying to do that, and especially through media. Next question, how do you feel like your taste in media has evolved over time? And do you feel like there's any sort of similarities between what you liked as a kid and what you've come to like as an adult viewer now? I think I've started, and I, I try and I always try and I don't always do a good job at it, uh, but I try to like stay cultured or become more cultured in the shows that I'm watching. So um, yeah, it's been nice to you know watch various shows that are streaming now, like you recommended me uh, Firefly Lane, right? And um, Sex Lives of College Girls and just keeping up with those shows is, is really cool. Um, it's really interesting to see these shows become really popular and then see the like online conversations people have about them and being able to like connect to with very you know various friends that I have on like revolving around these shows and kind of reclaim that part of my or you know claim that part of myself that I wasn't able to claim necessarily as a kid. Last question. Are you ready, Anna? Mm-hmm. So for the version of you 
that was watching Bones for the first time through, or even a different version of you earlier, what's something that you think your younger self needs to hear? What would you tell them? Well, it's interesting that you asked because I, I was, I was telling you um, a couple of days ago. Um, I had a realization about this question, which is that it feels like this question is really about what do you need right now that you wished you could have done as a kid. Um, and thinking about it from that way, from that perspective, um, I think right now I'm in a point in my life where I have hobbies. I'm I'm becoming an adult to some extent. I'm trying to do different things to like get that. And I find it really difficult. Like my imagination's not, you know, what it used to be, and I find it, you know, hard to like see the world from this like childlike perspective. So I feel like I I would encourage that part of me to do that more to like turn off turn off the computer a little bit more like do less homework or something <laughs> and just like play in the grass and like you know play in the leaves or, or whatnot you know that would have been really cool yeah you heard it here first folks if you're in school do less homework do less homework who cares if you pass it's about just being present and mm-hmm. you don't need school that's what that's what i'm getting from your message anna is that correct I support this message. Thank you. <laughs> As somebody that's getting their doctorate right now. <laughs> but, you know, on a serious note, I think that that's very apt. Um, that's something that I've been hearing a lot from people who respond to this question. I think you're all sort of saying, hold on to that time, that ability to just think about the simple things in life. Because that won't always be the case for you. And you'll have to get a lot more serious in the future. So, yeah, get off of the computer. Go outside. Hang out with your friends. Do all of those things. Because you're still going to have opportunities for that. But it'll be a little bit farther and fewer in between. So relish those moments. I would certainly tell my younger self that as well. I think that's a lovely note to conclude this episode on. Thank you. Once again, I will thank you now, in the past, in the present, in the future, always for being a key aspect to why I think this podcast functions in the way that it does. Um, So thank you for all of your support and for your love. And I hope that you know that extends to you tenfold. I love you so much. So thank you. So much. This has been so cool. And I love to listen to all the episodes that you release and just seeing like your guests and like who your friends are it's so cool it's like a it's like being a fly on the wall in a conversation with a friend and I never get to you know see you it's so awesome I think that's really cool too I've been known for being that person that has very distinct friend bubbles and so I'm not always comfortable with like sharing parts of other relationships that I have with my other friends so this is kind of a cool mediated approach to like letting my other friends peer into the relationship that i have with some of my friends and i I think that's so lovely i hope that you like my other friends (laughs) i know i'd be friends with all your friends if only you'd let us (laughs) well thank you so much and i hope you have a lovely rest of your day Bye. bye